Good afternoon. I'm John Hart, the co-founder of the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions, or C3 Solutions, and I'm also the executive editor of our news magazine, C3. Welcome to our Right Voices interview series, uh, where we talk to conservative leaders and innovators who are promoting bottom-up rather than top-down solutions to our nation's energy and environmental challenges. Today, we're honored to have a very special guest, Congressman G.T. Thompson. Uh, Congressman Thompson represents Pennsylvania's 15th Congressional District. He was elected in 20, uh, 2018, and he's a ranking member of the House Agricultural Committee. So, Congressman Thompson, uh, it's great to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. John, it's great to be with you, and thank you for your leadership on C3. Uh, it's, it's just so important and instrumental, and, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to visit with you on uh, related topics here today. Well, thank you so much. And just to give to give you and our viewers some some background, we're a new, relatively new organization. So, uh, you know, I worked on the Hill for years. I was Tom Coburn's communications director. Uh, I grew up in Kansas, and little did, little did I know that I would end up moving from Kansas to the East Coast to become a wheat farmer. So, as I look out over my computer screen, I've got a wheat field. I've got sixty two acres not far from Harpers Ferry in, in Maryland. And uh, and a couple of years ago, Drew Bond, who was Ed Fulner's former chief of staff. I had Drew come out. He has a solar company. And we thought, gosh, how can we put solar on my sustainable farm? And we had this chuckle of these two, you know, right wingers talking about solar and sustainability. We thought if only if only our friends on the progressive side could see what we're up to. And we, you know, the, the kind of the laughter turned into an epiphany and thought, you know, we need to we need to increase the number of people on the field and make our voices known and support the good work of people like you and others who are who are in this space. So that's a little bit about us and who we are. So again, as we we want to use this series to elevate voices and, and your voice has been really valuable and constructive. Uh, maybe we could start by talking about, you have a, a great op-ed that you placed recently in The Examiner uh, talking about natural solutions and farmers. Maybe you could just kind of give us a little bit about your background, your, your district, you know, how you got into this area uh, of issues and uh, and and what you want to get across to people. Well, sure. Well, uh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, my you know my background is uh, actually uh, was um, rehabilitation therapist. I was a rehab uh, rehabilitation therapist, a service rehab service manager, licensed nurse home administrator. Actually, I, I spent my career it was twenty eight years working in healthcare, serving people facing life changing disease and disability. That's how I earned my income. Uh, I was able to thrive through that. It was nonprofit community health care. I was able to support my family and really make a difference in people's lives. And that's a that's something I've always been dedicated to. That's sort of my, um, you know, uh, that's what drives me. Uh, that's kind of my mission is to be able to, to make a difference in the lives of, of other people and to be able to continue to do that. I, I did it in the community. I was a school. I'm a, I, well, I describe myself as a recovering school board member. <laughs> uh, uh, that was, um, you know, a volunteer firefighter, EMT, rescue technician, uh, uh, lay pastor. Uh, just community service has been an important part of my life. Uh, I, um, I'm also a proud Eagle Scout, uh, Scout Master for 30 years. I still involved. I've been actually involved in scouting this year, 50 years, which wow. is pretty scary to step back and think <laughs> that I've done something for a half a century. I don't feel that old. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, but so that's you know my my district is uh, the Pennsylvania 15th congressional district is very rural. Uh, there are 18 congressional seats currently in Pennsylvania. I represent 24 percent of the of the land mass. Um, Agriculture is our number one industry in the state of Pennsylvania, but also certainly my my congressional district. 
Um, and our our farmers and landowners played an important role in in the 15th district, as they do in you know where you're at in in Maryland and 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 all the states in terms of providing us with the the food, the fiber, uh, the uh, energy resources, the building materials that that we all rely upon, no matter where we live, uh, wherever we lay our head, whether it's uh, rural America, suburban America, or urban America. Uh, I like to say without a robust rural economy and the success of, of those farmers and ranchers, we'll, we all wind up, wake up in cold, dark, and hungry. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I'm very proud of my district. My district is uh, home to, uh, you know, probably uh, the most valued hardwoods in the world. Uh, and uh, the forest products industry is very strong there. Uh, we, it's home to Pennsylvania's only national forest, the Allegheny National Forest. Uh, you know, kind of small, about a half a million acres compared to out west, but probably the most profitable forest because of the value of our, uh, of our hardwoods that we have. Uh, we're also, though, rich in other natural resources. Uh, uh, we, we mine the coal there uh, to fuel the Industrial Revolution and, and uh, provide the arsenal of democracy for to win two world wars, uh, but we also, uh, you know, I, I actually represent the uh, the very first commercial oil well anywhere in the world, uh, which wow. is uh, uh, it's a Titusville address. It's Drake Well, and in, in, uh, actually in Venango County, and we've been, uh, you know, we have uh, this uh, wonderful natural gas as well beneath our feet there. So, um, and there, all those remain important job providers. Um, and I'm, you know, very proud that uh, since my first term, and I was first elected in 2008, sworn in in 2009, uh, that I've served on the uh, on the House Agriculture Committee. Very been proud to be a part of that. Uh, helped work on the 2014-2018 Farm Bill. I've chaired chaired a, a number of the subcommittees. Sorry about that. Okay. And. Um, uh, and it served as, uh, in the past as vice chair of the full House Agriculture Committee during the last during the last farm bill. Proud to serve there today as the uh, Republican leader. That's great. You know, one thing one thing you brought up that I wanted to flag is is we recently published a paper authored by uh, a gentleman named Nick Loris, and the title of it was called "Free Economies or Clean Economies." And and what Nick did is he looked at the index of economic freedom and found a strong correlation between countries that are more free economically and those that are cleaner. And, and you mentioned earlier a couple of things that stood out. One is, you know, in Pennsylvania, you did burn coal and you still do. And that economic vitality and wealth actually enabled the development of clean of clean energy technology. And that's still, and we're going to see that play out in other, other developing countries where you've got, you know, India uh, creating a middle class the size of our country, you know, over the past 10, 15 years. And then this issue of property rights, too, is another one that we've highlighted, uh, where, you know, the fact that in our country, people own the, the rights below their feet, where that isn't true in other countries. And so for me as a, as a landowner, you know, I care deeply about my own land because no one, <laughs> I'm responsible for it. Nobody else is going to come do it for me. But I think there's an ethic. And I think that's, that's what I what I you know, when I hear you describe your your district that's that's part of what i think you're articulating and and, and tell, tell us a little bit more about the natural solutions but that's a term that that you know we talk about a lot and but people may not know what that means what does that mean exactly when you talk about natural natural solutions well i think it's uh, for natural solutions it, it really is um you know it, it's about what 
You know, at its very basis, it's what God's blessed us with mm-hmm. in terms of natural solutions. It's uh, the resources that He has provided us, and and quite frankly, um, it's you know I really define a lot of it as uh, agriculture, and that also includes forestry because trees are a crop. Uh, as I like to say, down south where they line them up like uh, soldiers, or or in our part of the country where we uh, free range our trees. Right. Um, but uh, good, healthy forest, uh, good, healthy forest, and and uh, and our farmlands are the largest carbon sinks in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, and so those are natural solutions. And if we if we manage them in a way that's healthy, now if we allow them to, let's start with the forest. If we uh, if if we don't if we don't manage them properly, which means that we're routinely uh, you know cutting trees down and and then planting. Uh, new generations of trees, having multiple generations of trees in a forest is a healthy forest. And when you do that, you pe- you provide not just the best habitat for different types of species, but you maximize the carbon sink uh, and the amount of carbon that is taken out of the air. If you don't do that, then you wind up with, with wildfires like we see in the Western United States. that are heavy carbon emitters um, or trees that, that die, that fall over decay, and they also emit carbon there. Um, that's, um, and so, and on the agriculture side, it's, you know, agriculture has always been science, technology, and innovation. Mm-hmm. Even, even those first farmers, those, the, you know, in the very beginning of, of humankind, you know, I mean, they, they use science. It was simple trial and error. It was, it was kind of crude and rudimentary, but they, they figured out what they had to do to get a better crop to be able to sustain their life and the life of their family in, in the next year. And today, uh, agriculture, including forestry, is the science there is very sophisticated. And there's been a lot of research done on science, on uh, natural-based solutions. And, and a lot. And that research is really telling. When you look at uh, uh, the most recent data, and this was done over a series of number of years, a uh, very credible source. Um, I mean, these are, these are folks that perhaps are uh, maybe a little more progressive with most of their policies, but they recognize with their data that natural-based solutions uh, sequesters approximately six gigatons of carbon out of the year, year annually. Wow. Um, and then at the uh, another study that showed that it, it already at this point sequesters uh, enough carbon to, to offset carbon that's admitted in the practices we have in those uh, natural-based lands. Uh, plus, um, it was about 11.1% left over of additional sequestration above and beyond what's admitted in those lands. So it's, it's an incredible solution. It can only be improved upon uh, by, um, you know, the practices we have with conservation programs and precision mm-hmm. agriculture. Uh, we know today that pasturing, livestock pasturing helps stimulate root growth, which uh, results in more carbon sequestration. There's um, you know, the it, it's just a very, very exciting opportunity of what our, our farmers and ranchers, our foresters, what they um, and our forest landowners, uh, what they do for the environment. Yeah. And you mentioned precision agriculture. I, I, I because I have a farm, I know what that means, but a lot of people don't know what it means. How would you describe that? What, well, is, precision, what does that mean? Yeah, precision agriculture is best defined, I think, as the as as, you know, the the application of technology, uh, advanced technology into the practices of agriculture. So it's it's using farm equipment today that is designed uh, to, uh, when placed in the field, uh, it, it will 
do an analysis on exactly what nutrient needs there are at a, at a particular spot in a field. And we'll dispense just what's needed. Um, you know, uh, agriculture is a tough business. And if you, if you, uh, if you over, you know, let's say you, you know, you over apply nutrients or perhaps for, uh, um, so fertilizer, or, or maybe you're dealing with uh, insecticides or pesticides or whatever what's going on. If you overapply that, then there's the potential that that Im- impacts the environment, right? Uh, more than what you need will not be absorbed into the soil, potentially wash off and, and hurt a watershed. But with precision agriculture, you're only providing exactly what you need where you need it. And number one, that's better for the environment. Uh, it's a great advancement. Uh, but number two, it's 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 great for the farmer uh, because you know the farm can't farmer can't afford to over apply resources. And I, you know, as as we approach this this issue, uh, John of uh, of uh, looking at climate. Um, now, I've always subscribed to what I personally have named uh, principle based leadership, mm-hmm. and that's where uh, and I did this in my healthcare practice before in my community work, and I brought it to Congress where you define your principles ahead of time when you're tackling an issue. Right. And you allow that to be your true north, like on a, on a compass to guide you with what you do. And the principles that guide our climate work, number one, and you made reference to this somewhat and already yeah. in your remarks. Number one, first principle, you can't have a healthier environment without a healthier economy. It just doesn't work. You can't compromise one for the other. And number two, whatever we do should truly be science-based. Not myth, not emotion. And number three, let's start with what we know works as a great starting point. And those are the kinds of things that actually programs that we've already authorized uh, the past number of farm bills. And 2018 farm bill was probably the greenest farm bill we've ever done in history and really laid the foundation for these uh, for these programs that work well, not just for the environment, but also for the economy. Yeah, that's great. One issue you 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 uh, you mentioned in your op-ed too is is no-till agriculture, and no-till farming. And, and we have a we're blessed to have a member of our advisory board named Justin Knopf. He's a farmer in, in Kansas. You may have read the book Farmer, Rancher, Fisherman and seen the movie. Uh, Justin is the farmer in that in that film and documentary. Very very gifted, uh, good good friend of our mutual friend Tracy Mann, who's who serves with you in the. Yeah, it could be Tracy's one of my ag consultants. You know, he'll he'll provide free advice. So I have I have access to these uh, world class leaders. But but I think the no till farming issues is important, and it's very it's different in, in, in you know, agriculture is quite different in the Midwest versus where we are in kind of the Mid Atlantic. How widespread is no till farming in your particular district? I, I think it's it's made a significant presence. Uh, obviously the. You know, the difference between uh, Kansas one, the big one, uh, you know, where it's uh, one of the biggest agricultural districts in the country um, and those districts that we have in, uh, let's say, you know, Maryland, West Virginia, certainly Pennsylvania. You know, there's it's a larger scale there, smaller here, but the practices still apply. And we're working hard, actually, to make it uh, more affordable and incentivize um you know, the application of precision agriculture practices. And no-till is an example of that. You know, the, the no-till uh, machinery is, is such that it doesn't disturb the soil or minimize disruption of the soil um, as, a plow, as opposed to the old days where everything is plowed up. But when you, when you break that soil, you basically release some of that carbon back into the air. Um, 
Uh, when you do no-till, you're basically injecting into the soil. So you're you're mitigating or preventing the emission or the release of that carbon. We want to keep that carbon as much as we can in the soil because you know what? Uh, it it's it's helping to manufacture topsoil. So it's it's making it's it's expanding the topsoil. When you look at the um the practices of uh, healthy soil management. And I, I was proud of when I was co-chair of the of the subcommittee for conservation of forestry, watersheds, and soils. And I hosted the very first healthy soils hearing in Washington in Congress. And it, it's amazing to look how with these practices, you can take soil that you know is 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 not the best soil. You know, it's it's very limited, maybe very sandy. You know, just it, it's not very. Uh, when you do soil samples, uh, the, there, there's not a lot of good grown soil there. But with the right practices, you can actually expand that over years and increase uh, the the fertility of that soil to basically produce the you know the food and fiber that that we we rely on. Yeah, I think it's and as you describe the issue of of climate and stewardship conservation. You know, it's it's you know, I, I've been around politics for a long time. You know, I worked on the Hill for Tom Coburn, Jim DeMint, Steve Largent, you know, pretty well-known conservative names. And, uh, and it's kind of remarkable how this issue has shifted. Um, it, it, but still, there are some people that say, look, if you're a conservative and you talk about climate change, you're by definition somehow seeding ground or or giving giving a platform to the other side. And, and I suspect you strongly disagree with that. But and and I, how do you speak when you when you have these conversations with either your your friends, constituents, members, colleagues, who scratch their heads a little bit and think, why are conservatives talking about this? How do you how do you approach that? Well, well, first of all, I acknowledge that Republicans have not be have not been at the table in any significant way on climate um, ever in the past. And I think when we've done that, we unfortunately we have seeded the narrative. To uh, to the extreme liberal voices of the other side, and and they don't approach climate in a principled manner. It's all really emotion and myth. And you scratch the surface, and you find that they don't even have the science on their side, and they're not working with any proven practices. And so, uh, what I try to point out to my colleagues, and 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 quite frankly, to conservatives, is that you know it's it's Republican policies that have worked. We have just not taken credit for it. Uh, we we have allowed bullseyes to be put on the back of our farmers and ranchers. And those families work so hard to provide every American with what they need to have. Um, and, and, they, and they care deeply about their own land. That's... And they are the original stewards of the land, you know. Um, and so, you know, because agriculture is science, technology, and innovation. And that's my first question for people when I'm having this discussion. Do you believe that? And I think with a little bit of discussion, that's an easy thing to convince people um, that that's a, the solution. I, I happen to believe that that the solution to most major things our nation faces can be found and can be addressed and can be remedied is the application of science, technology, and innovation. And then I point out all the programs, what's out there. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I was shocked the first time that uh, and it was um, uh, last year uh, when I started really reading the data on on the outcomes for the environment. I knew the economic benefits of what we put in the farm bill. I knew how that helped the, the rural economy and our farmers and ranchers. 
But I was blown away when I started to look at the research that's been done on the environmental benefits uh, for what we do. And, you know, and if this argument is about taking carbon out of the air, um, then the fact is, it's Republican solutions that have done that. Republicans have led on on really the, the, the most meaningful solution when it comes to the climate. And we do it in a way that we help to, to build uh, uh, a robust, help us build a robust rural economy, which is incredibly important, uh, helps, you know, keep our farmers and ranchers in business and farming. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and some of the, uh, uh, one of the things I, 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 the arguments are, one of the pieces of information I share is that the data, the research shows that the number one thing that we could do to reduce greenhouse gases around the world is for American farmers and ranchers to grow more and export it. And wow. you, start, you start sharing the facts like that. Yeah. And, and it does, you know, for a lot of people, uh, um, you know, the, the light bulb comes on. And I, and I know this, is, and it's, a, it's different because a lot of elected officials, Republicans have, have, uh, have not been at the table. You know, we've, uh, it, mostly because I think we've recognized the myth and emotion behind what the other side tries to advance with climate. Um, but um, so it's great to be able to show uh, the, the, you know, the data, the science, um, the technology and the innovation that actually does work. Well, that's fantastic. And we certainly are grateful for your voice and leadership on this. And, and just to, to in closing, I'll put you on the spot. You know, we, yeah, obviously you hope that, that you'll become the chairman of the House Agricultural Committee in a couple of years. If you have that privilege and honor, what are some of the what are your top priorities going to be on day one? If you get well, there? well, and I'm and I'm I'm not one that uh, you know that, um, that that just campaigns when you're in a minority. Uh, we need to solve problems today, and so I appreciate. I have a a great relationship with Chairman Scott. You know, he's a, 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 a Chairman David Scott from Georgia. He's a, a gentleman, a statesman. He really does want to do bipartisan work. And so we're we're working on that right now. Uh, right now, we're working hard to, you know, we're trying to influence appropriations. We've already passed. Uh, well, one of our big issues that we need to have, certainly for precision agriculture, but just because of all the the terrible lessons we've lived through with with COVID, is we need connectivity in rural America. And we've we've already in a 2018 farm bill have passed. Um, you know, we were kind of ahead of our time of of authorizing some great programs that raise the standard of downloading and connectivity and, and innovation. And uh, unfortunately, we haven't had the Appropriations Committee has not funded those. And so we're working hard in this cycle to try to get those funded. And then connectivity is something that is, is a real priority of mine, obviously. And, and that has a bearing on precision agriculture and, and efficient practices on the farm and the ranch and and so this will help us on this climate issue um, as well. Now, we've also advanced, we've introduced uh, uh, five bills uh, already. That's uh, uh, our first package. We're still working on, and these are climate related. You know, uh, these, uh, these bills have, uh, uh, well, they, there's one bill that works on uh, precision uh, agriculture uh, in, uh, in partnerships. There's uh, setting up public-private partnerships. Uh, that's called the Sustains Act. That's a piece of legislation I've led on. Um, you know, we know that, um, for example, the EQIP program that we have through the Farm Bill, very effective in terms of healthier environment, healthier economy. 
Uh, but even in 2020, we had 90,000 applications that were submitted that we weren't were not able to be funded by USDA. Mm-hmm. So setting up a public-private partnership, which uh, where businesses uh, who want to get their climate credentials, their sustainability credentials, could make a contribution into the USDA to allow us to fund more of those projects. The beauty of that is it, it makes it open and available, first of all, for businesses of all sizes. So small and medium-sized businesses can participate in that. Normally with traditional carbon markets, it's just the larger corporations and businesses that benefit. And because of, uh, and, and on the benefit side, uh, not just large farms, but small and medium-sized farms uh, will be able to, will be greatly will greatly benefit from this as well. But we have a we have a number of forestry bills, uh, some restoration bills, um, but there are a package of five that we've introduced that uh, really would have a, a significant, um, would take us from what is a great baseline for natural-based solutions today for sequestering carbon. And uh, you know what? The, the sky's the limit here as we improve things. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Congressman, you've been very generous with your time and and uh, thanks so much for, for visiting with us. Uh, again, you can follow us at, at c3solutions.org, uh, where you can read about our policy papers, some of the policy work that the congressman's talked about. We have a news magazine as well called c3newsmag.com. And you can find our Right Voices series where we'll have this interview. And we have a, a very a growing collection of quotes from conservatives who are, who are showing leadership in this space. So again, uh, we're, we're grateful for you. And uh, hopefully look forward to visiting with you again soon about the, about the ongoing work you're doing. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your leadership with C3. Much appreciated. You bet. Thanks, Congressman. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Take care.